0: Welcome to Believing the Bible with Scott Lane and Terry Reed of the San Antonio Bible-Based Science
1: Association with today's message of hope in today's troubled world based on biblical truths. We hope that today's program is enlightening and inspirational. Welcome to Believing the Bible. This is Scott Lane, president of the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association.
2: And I'm Terry Reed, the director at SAPSA.
1: We are here to reassure you that you can believe the Bible from the very first verse
2: Scott, some have counted as many as two hundred places in the Bible where it reveals knowledge of science thousands of years ahead of man's discoveries
1: that's right, Terry. for example, how did the Bible know in Isaiah that the earth was round or hung in space as job twenty six seven wrote about thirty four hundred years before a man discovered such things?
2: Well, they could have watched eclipses and seen the round curvature of the shadow on the sun and on the moon during the eclipses and got an idea that the earth was round.
1: That's true, but for them to figure out the shape of the earth in such cases, they would have had to understand the relative positions of the sun, moon, and earth in space, which is doubtful. But that brings us to the bigger mystery of how Job, writing in what we believe is the oldest book in the Bible, tells us that the earth hangs in empty space.
2: If I remember correctly, this was written during a time when the Hindus believed the world was riding on the back of a huge celestial turtle. Mediterranean cultures believed that Atlas was holding up the world, and many said it was flat.
1: And this gets us to exactly my point. How is it that the Bible alone gets this fact of nature and astrophysics right when all these other cultures get it so terribly wrong? All these people knew was of an existence with gravity, and all their constructs of the universe included up and down gravity since that is what they knew and observed all around them. For the Bible suggests that the earth hung in empty space was
2: preposterous to most people. Only the Creator could have known that. And yet, this is just one example of more than 200 places in the Bible where it gets science exactly right when almost all other cultures have no understanding at all.
1: Another scientific truth which was ignored by man for thousands of years can be illuminated by telling the story of how George Washington died. Do you know the story? I have heard something about
2: it. He got a respiratory infection and died.
1: That is only part of the story. On Thursday, December 12, 1799, there had been a snowstorm, which Washington had been out in. He was exposed to sub-30-degree weather and snow. On Friday, Washington developed a tracheal and upper
2: respiratory infection. Now, Terry, what would we do in such a case today? Of course, we would go to a doctor and get antibiotics, which would clear that right up. But penicillin was not available in his day.
1: You're quite right about that, but Washington believed in the ancient cure of bloodletting.
2: I remember that. For thousands of years, bloodletting was practiced with the idea that they were taking the poison of sickness out of a, out of the person.
1: Again, that's right. Washington on Friday called on a neighbor who was not a doctor, but who was known to do bloodletting, and his neighbor cut Washington and let out 12 to 14 ounces of blood. Now, incidentally, This bloodletting was done at the objection of Washington's wife, Martha, who did not believe in bloodletting. Did it help at all? Nope. He felt no better on Saturday, so a doctor was called. The doctor arrived about 11 a.m. and drew a basin of blood from Washington. He felt no better in the early afternoon, so the doctor drew another basin of blood in the early afternoon. From there, he got even worse. The doctor drew another 32 ounces of blood at 4 p.m. From there, Washington steadily declined through the evening and died at about 11 p.m. My
2: question to you is, what killed him? Uh, That's easy. Uh, He was literally bled to death. If he had listened to his wife, and I hope my wife isn't listening to this, but if he had listened to his wife, he might have lived You're right,
1: of course, but on top of listening to his wife's advice, he might have lived had he taken the Bible very literally. It says in Leviticus 1711, the life of the flesh is
2: in the blood. That was written by Moses around 1450 B.C., and yet it was ignored by Christians and pagans alike for 3,300 years.
1: There is far more science in the writings of Moses, but let's set the stage a little bit. Terry, what significant discoveries are being made around between 1600 and 1870, which will lead Robert Koch to develop our modern disease theory, the idea of diseases being caused and spread by microorganisms?
2: Historically, the microscope was invented around 1600. Antoine van Leeuwenhoek first observes bacteria in 1674. By the 1860s, Louis Pasteur is leading the way to pasteurization and the sanitation of bacteria from milk. In the 1870s, Koch will develop our modern disease theory stating that disease can be contracted and passed from person to person via microbes.
1: Okay. So all of this stuff is going on in the 16, 17, and 1800s. Uh, But by the 1850s, they still haven't figured out what bacteria are and what they're doing. Knowing all that, let's tell a true story. In 1847, Ignaz Philipp Semmelweis, a Hungarian-Australian physician, is made head of the maternity department of Vienna Lying-In Hospital. I always laugh at that hospital's name. What else are you supposed to do in a hospital but lie down? But regardless of that. The hospital had more than 6,000 babies born in it each year. To serve that many babies, they had two wards for births. One was staffed by doctors and the other by midwives. Each ward helped on about 3,000 births each year. The midwives' ward had an impressive record of just over a 1% birth mortality rate or about 40 baby deaths each year, which was very good for this time period. The doctor's ward, however, had a surprisingly high baby death rate of almost 25%, or more than 700 of the 3,000 babies birthed in their ward each year died.
2: Wow, what on earth would cause such a startling amount of deaths in the doctor's ward?
1: Semmelweis wondered the same thing and analyzed what the midwives and doctors were doing to assist in births. He found the midwives were following the time-honored techniques of washing themselves in the area and in the area of the birth in hot water and wrapping the baby in clean clothes. The doctors, who often did autopsies on dead bodies as well, were coming directly from the autopsies to the birthing room without washing. In fact, they took it as a sign of their hard work to be covered in blood from the autopsies or other births when they went to deliver a baby. So what do you think was happening,
2: and what did Semmelweis do about it? Of course, we know today that the doctors were transmitting bloodborne diseases from the autopsies to the babies. I would hope that Semmelweis required the doctors to wash before assisting in births. He
1: did, and he required doctors to wash their smocks in chlorine uh, bleach. Uh, he, did, he did this because that was the only way that they could get them white. Uh, this also had the unknown byproduct of killing bacteria. Uh, and when they did all this, the mortality rate of the doctor's ward dropped 20 fold the next year. But in spite of this success, this new policy of washing themselves before assisting in births was very unpopular among the doctors.
2: Why do you think this was? No one likes change, and they are very slow to get on board even when it seems to work. Also, they would not want to own up to the idea that they were responsible for all these baby deaths.
1: Semmelweis was rewarded for this seemingly successful change in policy by being fired a year later. The doctors went back to not washing before birth, and their ward's birth mortality rate shot back up. At that At that time, we were right on the verge of understanding the effects of microbes and bacteria on disease transmission around 1850 when all this happened. But it all could have been prevented if they had only read and believed the Bible. In Numbers chapter 19, it says any person touching a carcass must be washed. It also says that any open vessel, like a jar, must be considered unclean because it's an excellent growth medium.
2: That warning from the scriptures was written into the Bible 3,400 years ago. And obviously from our story, it shows knowledge known by the Creator back then that man did not even possess until the last 150 years. This story is a cautionary tale on many levels. It shows how we should not allow our prejudices and bad habits to get in the way of progress. It also shows that common sense is not all that common. But above all, it highlights how good and enriched our lives can be if we just believe in the Bible and take it very literally as having God's authoritative and inerrant word in it.
1: Um. With the last program, we uh, looked at some other things that are in the Bible, science within the Bible. For example, Matthew Mari found that there were paths within the sea, which I've always thought was a ridiculously uh, tough concept. You know, me, what's a path in the sea? If you if you brush your hand in the water, uh, there might be a streak for a moment, but it's gone away. But Mari took that very literally, and we found out that it was true science, not just uh, poetry. Uh, likewise, there are circuits to the winds. How are you ever supposed to find circuits or, or paths to the winds when the wind is invisible? And yet he took that very literally and he made ships record both tides, um, currents that they measured as they came across the oceans, as well as uh, wind speeds and directions. And this led them to the discovery of, bo- of both the Gulf Stream and the cold water Pacific Stream, as well as uh, the trade winds, which cut as much as two weeks off of the transatlantic and transpacific uh, ocean voyages that were going on at the time. Again, this is the Bible knowing things thousands of years before man ever discovered it.
2: Yeah, sometimes um, we're kind of slow to catch up with the Bible. Um, And and even when the Bible proves itself right over and over and over, you still have uh, people like Richard Dawkins and Eugenie Scott of the National Center for Science Education and Michael Shermer of Skeptics Magazine and Lawrence Krauss, America's version of Richard Dawkins, all wanting to deny the truth of the Bible. And they even say it's child abuse to teach your children that the Bible is true.
1: That is quite true, and it, of course, feeds into what we're trying to do each week and to tell our listeners that they can believe the Bible from the very first verse. For more information on this or any other creation topics, or to schedule a presentation, go to sapsa.org or call 210-599-7240. When you go to our website, you can click on a link to our newsletter, which which go back several years and are very informative. You can also call 210-599-7240 to request having a newsletter emailed to you, or you may request it by using the content, link, content contact link on our website. Also go to WhyShouldYouBelieve.com. That's WhyShouldYouBelieve.com. Sab some meats the second Tuesday of each month at 7 p.m. at the Jim's Restaurant at the corner of San Pedro and Ramsey. There you will find biblical apologetics and creation science teaching found nowhere else in Bear County. If you missed any part of the show, you can listen to the show anytime by going to the AM630 KSLR website and click on KSLR Podcasts. Next Saturday, we will explore more on this topic of science and the Bible thousands of years before man discovered. Join us again next Saturday for Believing the Bible.